from Ecclesiastes 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. All people are like grass and all their beauty like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, we're continuing our sermon series, walking through each and every book of the Bible so that you will have a better idea of why each and every book of the Bible is in there, what is the point of each individual book, and how they come together to contribute to the one larger story of the Bible, which is our creator God who made all that there is, our sinning against him, that is the fall, and his redemptive plan by grace to save us and to rescue all creation and to transform it into his eternal kingdom where we will dwell forever with him. The Bible is walking through that story, and every book contributes to that story, even Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, more than any other book, explores in depth what Solomon, whom I am persuaded is the author, and I won't go into all those reasons right now. I'm persuaded Solomon is the author, and in this book, he explores in depth more than any other what he calls life under the sun. You saw that in verse 3. He repeats it all through the book. That is Life in the here and now, okay? It's, it's, it's what we see before us, this world we live in with all of its absurdities and enigmas. And the question, the question that he's trying to get to the bottom of in the book of Ecclesiastes is the question of lasting meaning, lasting fulfillment, 
That's the question he is trying to get to the bottom of. How can I acquire, how can anyone acquire lasting meaning and lasting fulfillment? Can it be acquired? Now, I want to prepare you. Solomon goes into some pretty dark places in the book of Ecclesiastes. And because we're a Christian church, we don't leave those parts out. We preach the whole Bible. And so we're going to explore some of these dark places. You can't have the good news of Christianity. You can't have the heights without acknowledging the depths. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes acknowledges some of these depths. Now, at first glance, it seems as though Solomon is hopelessly pessimistic. I mean, listen to what he says uh, here in the opening verses of our chapter. Uh, You know, lasting meaning and fulfillment cannot be acquired, it seems as though he's saying. It's futile to search for it. I mean, verses 3 and 4 are vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. That's the word that's sometimes translated meaningless. It's actually a word that in the Hebrew is the word for vaporous. It's like a vapor that appears for a little while. You try to grab onto it, and it's gone. That's that's what he means by, by vanity. And it seems like he's just hopelessly pessimistic. He's saying, no matter where you look for meaning and fulfillment, there's no gain. He repeats that again all through the book. That's a word from the world of commerce in, in, in Solomon's day. It's, 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 it's a word that, that, that speaks of, you know, you go out to do something, you, you think you have something in your account, you go to look in your account, and there's just nothing. You thought you grabbed hold of something, you thought you got it, but it's not there. There, there's no gain in, in life under the sun, he's saying. You're, you're, that's why he says, it's like you're chasing after wind. How silly a thing is that? But we do it, he says. And generation after generation of people without fail exhaust themselves in this search for meaning and fulfillment in this life under the sun. And they're disappointed, but they keep going after it. They keep chasing after the wind. That's what, he, in a poetic way, in verses 4 through 8, uh, he's trying to describe here how generation goes and generations come. And they try the same thing over and over again. They chase after the wind. And he's describing here poetically how, how the earth, right? It, 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 it's as if the earth is looking on and watching generation after generation chase after the wind looking for meaning in life, and it can't be found. It's, 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 the, the earth is getting bored watching us. That's what he's, he's describing there. You know, the, the wind has been around for a long time. It goes up there, and it comes back down. And, the, you know, the, the streams, they go to the place where they came from, back around again and again. The sun rises and the sun sets. You know, it's, he, you know these trees out here have have watched generation after generation of students chasing the wind, is what he's saying. And the earth is bored by that. Now, how, how is something this dark in the Bible? I thought the Bible was supposed to lift us up. I thought we came here this morning for, you know, some so kind of a pep rally. I mean, what... We don't, we don't need this kind of discouraging, pessimistic kind of stuff. What is Solomon doing here? Well, here's what he's doing. This is very important. If you're going to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, you must understand what he, Solomon is doing with this very unique form of, of uh, 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 literary genre, okay? 
here's probably the best way I can explain what Solomon's doing. Before Rembrandt did his thing with painting, before Rembrandt did his thing, and apparently what he was best at was, was uh, chiaroscuro. I don't know if you art students know chiaroscuro. Um, chiaroscuro was a, a, a painting technique that emphasized the contrast between light and dark. Okay? It was developed during the Renaissance, but, but we're told Rembrandt pushed it to new heights. I mean, he used dramatic lighting to bring out the psychological depths of, of his, his subjects. And his point with this darkness and this light was that through the dark shadows, our eyes would be turned to the real focal point, which is the light. And I'm here to tell you, that's what's happening in Ecclesiastes. Before Rembrandt mastered darkness and light, we had Solomon here in Ecclesiastes. That's what he's doing. He's contrasting alternate perspectives. It's as if he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. One side is pretty dark, but there is another side that we'll see. And, and, and what he's doing here, he's contrasting two alternate perspectives in how to search for lasting meaning and fulfillment. That's what he's doing. So he explores, on the one hand, the, the secular search. Just, in, you know, the basic dictionary term of secular, you know, let, let's take God out of it, okay? He's looking at it from a purely horizontal uh, angle, like, if this world is all we have, let's take God out of it. We want meaning. We want fulfillment. Okay, if that's the case, what's it look like? How are you going to find it? And, and he explores that throughout Ecclesiastes. Those are the dark shadows of, of Ecclesiastes as he looks at things from a purely horizontal uh, angle. But he does that ultimately to bring our eyes to the light of an alternate approach. Remember Rembrandt. So Solomon isn't actually a hopeless pessimist, uh, pessimist but, but he is giving us perspective on life if you only look at it horizontally, okay? It, it's not that he's hopeless, but he's being honest about how life feels if this world and this life is all you have, okay? Um, he doesn't really believe that everything is futile, but he does acknowledge it is fragile, life relationships are, 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 are fragile. He, he doesn't really believe that all things are vain, but our experience, our, our, our experiences certainly are vaporous. And he, he wrestles with that. And because of the momentariness of life, it, it, it can feel at times meaningless if this world, if this life is all you have. And so, and so he gives us a clue that he's doing this here in, in verse 1. Um, uh, notice he, he's, he's a believer, okay? He's not a, a secular, godless, pessimist. He is a believer. Uh, he's a guardian of the covenant promises, son of David, right? King of Israel. He's, he's saying that to say this is ultimately where I stand and the perspective that I'm, that I'm coming from. However, like everyone, he lives in this world. He lives life under the sun. He lives in the real world. Okay? So as a believer, as a, as a guardian of the, the covenant promises, his end game in Ecclesiastes is to promote an alternate approach for finding lasting meaning and significance. Okay? And this alternate approach, it, it 
bursts onto the canvas of Ecclesiastes at, at key moments, okay? And of course, I'll point those out, but he's alternating, okay, between these two perspectives, just the horizontal and then the perspective of a search for meaning and, and fulfillment if you bring God into the picture. So he alternates between those two. Uh, I, I was reading a commentary by the scholar Sidney Gradanus. <clears throat> he wrote this about Ecclesiastes. He said, it is not advisable, of course, because of all the confusing parts of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's not advisable, of course, to preach a single sermon on all of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> uh, I love that this week, because that's what we're going to attempt to do this morning. So let's try to sum this up. First, let's enter the darkness. Let's enter the darkness to see what Solomon finds from looking at life in the here and now from a horizontal perspective only, okay? Taking God out of the picture. He says, let's go on a journey together and let's search for lasting meaning in every way possible. If it can be found anywhere in this world, we're going to find it. He's doing an honest search here, looking at things from every angle. He's saying, if, if it can be found here, we are going to find it. Let's turn over every rock to find it. In verses 8 through 10, he, he, he gives us a little introduction here in chapter 1 of, of his findings. Okay? He clues us in on what he ultimately found. He, he did look under every rock. And he doesn't even have the words to express his disappointment. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A person can't even utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. In other words, what he's saying is, there's stuff out there uh, that I can see that looks like it's the solution to our problem, that it can give us meaning and, and fulfillment, but it's an illusion. Um, there, there's stuff that I, I hear about, but it's a lie. Is there anything of which it can be said, this is new? He says, no, it's, it's, it's already been tried and, and, and failed. That's kind of a summary statement of, of, of his findings. And look at what he says in verses 17 and 18. He says, I perceived it's all striving after the wind. In fact, he says, um, one last thing I'll tell you before I report my findings. Solomon says, he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. In, in other words, he's not saying knowledge is bad. He's talking about as you gain knowledge about the things you think will give you meaning and fulfillment, what he's saying is uh, the more I experienced and learned about all the possibilities for meaning and happiness and, and then gain knowledge of their limitations, the more disappointed I was. That's what he's saying. So, so what were some of the rocks that Solomon turned over in his search for lasting meaning and fulfillment? Well, here's some of the things he uh, explored that he writes about in Ecclesiastes. He, he looked at pleasure. And maybe if you have enough pleasure, that will give you that sense of lasting meaning and fulfillment. He looks at pleasure in food and, and drink and sex and music and art and nature. He explores those. Uh, he, he considers wealth and possessions. He considers a world filled with justice in a, in a well-ordered society. He looks at work. Maybe, maybe it's in, in, in a person's work. 
Uh, he looks at, at fame and honor. Maybe, maybe meaning, lasting fulfillment can be found there. He, he looks at the enjoyment of time and health. Now, this morning, we can't look at all of these, but, but let's just sample a few of these and see what he has to say throughout Ecclesiastes. First of all, he, he, he deals with pleasure, okay? Looking at this, life under the sun from a horizontal angle, maybe meaning and fulfillment can be found if you can acquire enough pleasure. So chapter 2, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I had possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines. The delight of the sons of man. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon's description there in chapter 2 sounds a little bit like Jeffrey Epstein's island, doesn't it? Um, if you're not familiar with that, you can Google it, in fact, or not. Um, ask anyone who took Epstein's private jet to his Ask him, how'd that work out for you? How'd that work out for you? Was it, was it everything you'd hoped? <laughs> right. uh, it's, it, this is an ex extreme example, but, but it shows how far people with resources will go to search for meaning and, and fulfillment. Uh, Carrie Cohen, in her book, writes uh, very vulnerably of, of the emptiness that a life of sex with multiple men eventually brought her. She says, it's, it's not just that I lost track of all their names. She says, I lost track of my name. I lost who I was. I lost meaning in life, though it was an attempt to find meaning. I had let these men inside me, wanting that to make me matter to them, wanting it to make me matter to me. Even, even for the happily married couple who en enjoys a, a date night, great steak, great wine, a nice walk through the park, night of romance. See, see Solomon's saying here, you still have to get up and leave the table. You still have to get out of bed the next morning. You still have to face traffic on the way to work. You still have to change the baby's diapers, perhaps. You, you still have to deal with difficult people and bills to pay and health issues and, and all of the above, right? And so, and so the momentary fulfillment from the great date night, it, it slips through your fingers. It was great, but where to go? <laughs> it's vaporous. I, 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 can't, I can't hold on to this. Um, it, Solomon says, you'll never be able to. That's why he keeps repeating. It's, it's a chasing after the wind. Um, uh, you can't find it here in life under the sun. Now, please hear me on this. It's not that steak or wine or sex is bad or evil. Absolutely not. It's a good gift from God. But these earthly things 
See, these earthly things are not the problem. The problem is what we try to do with them. We try to get something out of them that cannot be acquired. That's the problem. Same thing with wealth and possessions, fame and honor. Listen to what Solomon says in chapter 5. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is, is vanity. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. As he, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain, what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days, there's much vexation and sickness and anger. Why would there be much vexation and anger in the life of someone who has wealth and honor, endless possessions? Why would there be vexation and anger? Here's why. The vexation is, this was supposed to work. And deep down you sense it's not working. There's not a lasting meaning and fulfillment in these things. We've all been hypnotized to some degree, certainly in, in, in the culture in which we live. We've all been hypnotized to believe in a certain power that we possess. What's that power? It's the power of cause and effect. There's a certain power we, we believe we can access of cause and effect that gives us the ability to acquire pleasure and to make a name for ourselves, you know, to kind of tap into this system of cause and effect to create our own identity, and then we'll have our own sources of lasting pleasure. And I want you to know Ecclesiastes crushes this notion. It crushes any notion you have of any kind of power you have of causing and affecting your way to get the possessions or the wealth or the honor that you think will give you meaning and fulfillment. Let's just talk hypothetically, okay? Hypothetically, best case scenario. Let's say you play the game perfectly, okay? Your family comes from some money and you have some smarts, okay? So, so you're getting a great degree from the University of Michigan. Cause and effect already in place, right? The dominoes are falling just like you wanted. You land a great job after you graduate. Cause and effect. It's all working out. Yeah. You get your job. You climb the ranks, okay? So we're talking best case scenario. So just assuming some insecure low-level manager doesn't sabotage you, assuming there's no world war or crisis or economic disaster or depression that will strip your bank account or your savings or your, your job, okay? Just assume. Let's throw that out. Let's just say you make money hand over fist, okay? You marry the person of your dreams, you have amazing kids, and again, best case scenario, so we're just assuming your spouse doesn't have an affair, no tragic accidents, no midlife crisis that causes you to do something too stupid, okay? Let's throw that out. So you kind of have a moment after all that. You kind of have a moment of feeling that sense of lasting fulfillment and honor. You kind of have that sense. I, I have, a, I have a good name, the name I wanted, the identity I've wanted, the bank account that I've wanted. What does Solomon have to say about that? Solomon speaks in chapter 6 in response. 
there is another evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger will enjoy them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, best case scenario, but his soul his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and it goes in darkness. And in darkness, your name, your name is covered. It's covered in darkness. In other words, it won't last. It won't fulfill you like you thought. What you acquired will at some point be torn down or taken by a stranger and enjoyed by a stranger. You, by the way, will also be forgotten. Isabel Thomas, does that name ring a bell? Isabel Thomas from England, daughter of Sir Henry Lawrence, very privileged upbringing. She attended the private King Edwards School as, as a child. I looked it up. It's like the cost of University of Michigan. <clears throat> Not a bad grade school. Um, she went on to Oxford University, graduating with a degree in biological sciences, Served as an advisor for the prime minister, had a passion for filmmaking, and moved to L.A., where she produced some films. She was a member of the UCLA Center of Storytellers and Scholars Advisory Board. She, she was so gifted and creative, she even moonlighted as, as a famous DJ at some of the world's most famous parties. Um, and oh, by the way, she married the guy who produced a film currently nominated for an Oscar, Killers of the Flower moon, and they have two young girls. Maybe that's not a resume that you love, but I think that's an amazing resume. I mean, that's just, I mean, the scholarly pursuits, the art, the music, the, the I mean, you know, I mean, she caused and affected her way to a life unparalleled in pleasure, wealth, scholarly achievements, love, fame. Two days ago, she jumped from her high balcony of her hotel. A friend, her best friend, wrote, I lost a friend very suddenly this week. Don't presume you can just grow old together. Don't presume the world is fair or makes sense. Don't take anyone or anything you love for granted for a minute. My heart is completely broken and I don't think I'll ever recover. Solomon is exploring those depths. Ecclesiastes. Life under the sun. Um, do you guys know who that is? That picture on the wall? Does anyone know? You know who that is? You know who that is? You guys look at it every week. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good. Some former presidents and athletic directors, I believe. You don't know their names, do you? Think of, think of the lifetime of toil to get where they were. I mean, they did great things. They acquired much. No one cares. I hate to put it that way. You don't care. You see them every week. Um, they're in the same ground that I buried my dog named Chief. 
That's what Solomon says. Those are Solomon's words. I'm not being mean. I'm just I'm Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What happens to humans and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. We have no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from dust, and to dust all returns. There's no gain, and your name will be covered in darkness. Again, Solomon illustrates this with a little story, chapter 9. There is a little city, and a great king came against it and besieged this little city, building great siege works against it. But there was found in this little city a wise man. And by his wisdom, he delivered this city all by himself. That's amazing. Who is this guy? Surely he went down in history. Solomon says, no one remembered that poor man. His wisdom is despised and his words are never heard again. Solomon says, okay, let's look under another rock. Maybe if we could somehow capture time. Don't you guys feel that, right? I want to just capture time. I want time extended. Maybe if we could extend our lives, then we can find lasting fulfillment and meaning time. Boy, time's a funny thing, isn't it? I remember, I don't think it was too long ago, I guess when I was a kid flipping through the radio, you come across an oldie station, it was playing stuff like lollipop, lollipop, oh lolly, lolly, lollipop. That was oldie, that's oldies music. I, tur- I flip the radio now, I go to an oldie station, you know what I hear? Pour some sugar on me. College students, you might not know that. That's oldies, that's Def Leppard, man. That was new at the heart of my life. Now it's oldies. I, re- I remember vividly standing in the kitchen before school, and that was released. I had just bought the tape, and tape, and uh, the DJ on the radio played that song and said, the first caller that can recognize this song. And I, I called, and I won a radio prize. That's on the oldie stations now. Um, it's funny, but it's not so funny, is it? Because time steals people. And time steals relationships, and it steals possessions, and it steals bodies, um, steals marriages. There's a singer I love to listen to, um, Jason Isbell. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of Jason Isbell. If not, you should, you should look him up. Uh, I, I have no reason to believe he's a Christian singer. But I don't know of another singer who sings so beautifully about life under the sun uh, with a raw honesty of the realities of life. He has a song about marriage. It's probably my favorite song about marriage. It's, uh, it's called If We Were Vampires. If We Were Vampires. I'm not a vampire expert, but I think they're supposed to live a long time, right? Or forever, I don't know, until you drive a stake through their heart. But I think that's the point of the song, right? If if we could be vampires, we'd live a long time. We wouldn't have to ever worry about dying off from one another. He says it's, uh, it's not the, I'm not going to sing it. I'm done singing. It's not the long flowing dress that you're in or the light coming off of your skin. This is a husband singing to his wife. The fragile heart you protected for so long or the mercy in your sense of right and wrong. This song always makes me a little emotional. It's not your hands searching slow in the dark or your nails leaving love's watermark. It's knowing that this life can't go on forever. Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. 
Maybe we'll get 40 years together. But one day I'll be gone. Or one day you'll be gone. If we were vampires and if death were a joke, then we could go out on the sidewalk and smoke and laugh at all the lovers and their plans. Maybe time running out is a gift. I'll, I'll work hard till the end of my shift and give you every second I can find. And uh, hope that it isn't me who's left behind. It's, it's knowing this life can't go on forever. Likely one of us will spend some days alone, maybe 40 years together, but one day I'll be gone. One day you'll be gone. Solomon says, thank you, Jason, for singing such raw honesty, but I'm afraid to say there's no way to stop time and hell from slipping through your fingers. Chapter 12, the evil days are drawing near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. The days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. It's a poetic way of saying when the keepers of the house start to tremble and the strong men are bent, your legs and your back don't work like they should. When the grinders cease because there are few teeth and those who look through the windows are dimmed eyes, the doors on the street are shut. When one rises up at the sound of a bird, you won't be able to sleep very well. When you are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way, you're afraid to fall. The almond tree blossoms. The hair turns white. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. The silver cord is snapped. The golden bowl is broken. It's a picture of a... Yeah, the cord being snapped from the chandelier and, and he says the, gold, the, the, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered and the dust returns to the earth. Vanity of all vanities, all is vanity. Okay, this is very dark. Okay. But remember, Rembrandt, all this darkness of Ecclesiastes is not the focal point. It's there like the dark shadows in a Rembrandt to move our eyes to see the real focal point, to see the light. Look at how Solomon closes Ecclesiastes. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Okay, he's summing it all up. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Okay, now he's getting into the alternate approach to meaning and fulfillment. Here's the alternate way to do life under the sun for finding lasting meaning and fulfillment. He, he says you won't find it by looking at anything in life under the sun. So where is it? The God who created the sun and who gave us this life under the sun is himself meaning and fulfillment. It's not something you go out to find. It's him. He is meaning and fulfillment. It's not in the creation, but it's in the creator. He made us for himself. Solomon says he put eternity into our hearts, knowing that he alone can fill our eternal thirst. That's why nothing out there in the creation works. To fear God, it means to turn to him, to have a relationship with him where you are in awe of him to trust him and all that he's spoken, including trusting his promise that he will redeem all creation and rescue us into the eternal life of eternal meaning and fulfillment through a Savior. For Solomon, he didn't know exactly 
how this would happen. He knew the promises. He trusted those promises. He didn't know what it would look like or how all this would shake out. But he trusted God. And his life was built on this relationship with God by faith. And he's telling us it's the only way. It's the only way to find lasting meaning and fulfillment. It changes everything. Listen, this is so important. It changes everything. Because when God is your meaning, see, he satisfies that thirst for that search. When God is your meaning, when he's your fulfillment, then you have meaning and fulfillment that lasts. So you no longer exhaust yourself chasing after wind. You're not exhausting yourself trying to find it in wealth or honor or pleasure or people. You can enjoy those things, romance, possessions. You can enjoy those good things as they were meant to be enjoyed, as a gift. Not as the answer for all of your problems. You can enjoy them as they were meant, as a gift. Then you can actually enjoy life under the sun. And these strokes of light were painted all through the book. And I haven't read them yet because they only make sense when you turn to the creator to be your lasting meaning and fulfillment instead of looking to his creation. So when you look to the creator, here's what Solomon says. A person, chapter 2, should eat and drink and find satisfaction in their work. This is from the hand of God. See, he's bringing God down into life under the sun. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? There's nothing better, he says in chapter 3, than to be joyful and to do good as long as you live. Uh, Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. I know that whatever God does, it endures forever. Chapter 5, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given to him. For this is his lot. Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power should enjoy them and accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, knowing it is a gift of God. Chapter 9, he says, go, go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. You don't have to be a vampire. Enjoy life with, the, life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your life that he has given you under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You see what he's saying? It gives you a completely different perspective when you're not chasing after the wind. You actually can enjoy God's good gifts. Now how deeper, how much deeper How much fuller is is this for us on this side of the cross? How much deeper and fuller? Jesus came, let me remind you, and said, fascinating statement, Jesus said, someone greater than Solomon is here. Jesus also kind of did the Rembrandt thing. Jesus worked with the dark shadows to try to get our eyes to the light. Um, and, and he talked about the same thing Solomon did. He talked about treasures and pleasures and food and drink and gain and loss. Don't, don't you remember some of the things Jesus said? Jesus came and declared, um, <clears throat> if anyone wants to gain life, there's that gain language. If you want to gain life, you need to lose it. Anyone who wants to gain life will lose it. Whoever loses his life by turning to me will gain life. What good is it when you gain the whole world but lose your soul, he says. 
Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where rust and moths destroy. Thieves will steal. But store up the kind of treasures that will last. And you find that in me. Um, To the woman at the well who had been through romance after romance after romance, Jesus said, you're drinking water that won't satisfy. But there is water that will satisfy, living water that lasts, that wells up to eternal life. Um, You'll find that water in me. See what Jesus was doing? he's, he's, He's getting us to wrestle with the reality of darkness and, and turn our eyes to see in him is our meaning and our fulfillment. He, he says to the crowd, you can't, you can keep eating the bread of this world if you want. Keep, go ahead. Keep trying to find your meaning and fulfillment in the bread of this world, but you will be hungry. But there is a bread that comes out of heaven that gives life. Where can we find it? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. See what he's doing? Same thing, it's fearing God, but... You see, he's saying all the stuff, the stuff Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, but Jesus is greater than Solomon. Solomon could say, fear God, look to him, or else there's no gain. And what's Jesus say? Jesus says, I am God. Solomon couldn't say that. Jesus could say it. I am God. Fear me, and you'll gain eternal life. Solomon could say, lasting fulfillment isn't found in pleasures, but in, in fearing God. Jesus could say lasting meaning and fulfillment isn't found in the pleasures of this world, but at the foot of the cross, where I took all of your darkness, where I took at that cross all the darkness that could ever be given of in this life under the sun, and I did it for you in your place so that you would never have to taste the darkness of the curse of life under the sun. I, I took it for you, and I took your sin, and I reconciled you to God so that you have a relationship with the one who is meaning and fulfillment himself, and so put to death your search for meaning and fulfillment, and look to the cross where you see it was freely given to you. The gospel says, stop your search. Stop chasing after the wind. You're not going to find it. It was freely given to you at the cross. You receive it as a gift. And Jesus says, as sure as I was raised, so will you be raised to life after life under the sun, where time won't slip through your fingers, and bodies won't crumble, and relationships will never be torn apart. Knowing this good news, if you know this gospel, you can make it through life under the sun. You can find lasting meaning and fulfillment in your creator, and you can enjoy his good gifts. You can eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you don't die. Tomorrow you live. That's the message of Ecclesiastes.